0: Poker is one of those games that, like digital marketing, requires a left brain, right brain approach. To begin with, good poker players know the percentages. They know that the two fours in their hand gives them a 12% chance of winning in a typical poker game. That's their left brain, data-driven knowledge. Then you add in all of the right brain stuff, emotion, reading the other players' faces, controlling your own face, looking for tells and the past behaviors of the other players. Yep, that's digital marketing. But there's one move that throws all of that out the window. You may have seen it in the World Series of Poker on TV or in a James Bond movie. One player pushes his entire stack of chips into the center of the table and says, all in. What he's saying is if he loses this hand, he loses everything. All of the other players have to ask themselves, will I match his entire stack or should I just get out now? Going all in smashes everything. It may mean that you're ignoring the data in one big high stakes bluff, or it may mean that you're trying to ratchet up the emotion, scaring the rest of the table into making a bad decision. Now there is an equivalent to going all in in digital marketing as well. We call it a website redesign. This is one of the biggest budgeted projects a company will do. When someone throws a lot of money at the marketing department, it can be hard to resist. And sure, it could have a huge impact on the financial prospects of the firm, but it can also cause you to lose everything. Now, poker players have one advantage over digital marketers when going all in. They can see their cards, they know their percentage. Digital marketers, well, they have past performance from the current site. But do they use it? Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to predict the success of their marketing campaigns. Marketing magic is real, and I'll teach you how to harness it.
1: When they say, We read on our website, and it's awesome, but it's not making us as much money, can you help us? The answer there is like, Well, sure, we can help you for free. Just go back to the old website that was making you more money.
0: On today's show, I'm pulling in Joel Harvey, our Chief Operating Officer here at Conversion Sciences. Joel's role is to make sure we live up to our company motto, always deliver remarkable results. Joel and I are talking website redesigns today, and we're going to tell you something that may blow your mind. Website redesigns don't have to be an all-or-nothing hand. You don't have to push all of your budget in and wait 3, 6, or 12 months to find out if you've won or if you've lost everything, listen to how we stack the odds in our favor, guaranteeing a winning hand. One of the things we are fond of saying, or that we find ourselves saying, is that conversion optimization, the process of testing the components of a website and finding the things that work and discarding the things that don't work, really is. Redesign. In other words, we're always redesigning somebody's website. If they're working with us, they never stop redesigning, which is a little odd because when we think about a website redesign, we generally think about this all in, make a bunch of changes and push it out at the end of three or six or 12 months, however long it takes.
1: That's a really interesting distinction, actually, because I think that's the way... When you use the word redesign, that's the way most people think of it. It's all or nothing. It's binary. It's this is the site we've got today. And at some point in time in the future, we're going to have something completely different on the cutover day. Whereas our approach has traditionally been it's incremental, it's evolutionary, it's over time. It's all based on we're only making changes that we know are going to make the customer
0: more money. And one of the things I like about this approach is that as opposed to an all-in redesign, we end up finding wins along the way. So what we end up with is a guarantee, a guaranteed redesign. In other words, a redesign that we know is going to improve the conversion rates. We get calls from people all the time that have just finished redesigning. What's what's yeah. your experience?
1: So someone, you know, someone calls or fills out a form on our site, and you get on the phone with them and it's and it basically goes something like this. We just redesigned our website. We love it. It's great. But our conversions are down 15%, 20%, 30%. Can you help us? And it's kind of like that old adage. If a friend comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to start a restaurant. What do you think? <laughs> right? It's like, oh, well, you want me to save you $100,000 in a couple of years of your life? Yeah, please do. Don't start the restaurant. Right? So in this case, when they say we redesigned our website and it's awesome, but it's not making us as much money. Can you help us? The answer there is like, well, sure, and we can help you for free. Just go back to the old website that was making you more money, which of course is a non-starter because when you think about that binary redesign process, there is so much effort and time and energy across a wide number of people in an organization and the agencies or agency that they bring on to help them that there is no going back. They're usually... One of the most visible things that is happening within at least the marketing part of an organization, they, they take a large amount of a large number of people's time and it becomes, for lack of a better word, a political third rail to suggest that this beautiful baby that they all created together is anything but
0: perfect. Well, and I think part of the problem is that we assume that the purpose of a redesign is to improve the performance of the online business, to improve the number of leads, the number of sales, the number of transactions that are being generated by that. But really, these projects get kicked off for a lot of other reasons. Uh, The first one that comes to mind is new management and marketing, and they've got to mark their territory, and the website is usually one of those places where they can say, all right, we're going to get this big project, we're going to make a big difference, It's going to be a visible difference to everybody else in the company, um, and that's why we're doing it. So it doesn't start off as, hmm, we really need to improve the performance of this site, but uh, it's a more political reason. So what are some of the other reasons you've seen um, for why people kick off a, a, a design like this, a redesign?
1: Well, I mean, there are are some cases where it legitimately needs to happen. Someone is Mm replatforming, they're going through a rebrand, and obviously the website needs to reflect that. But quite frankly, as I think about it, most of the time it seems to be driven not by, we've got something in our data that says we're not doing as well as we should be, therefore let's hone in on the reasons why and fix those reasons. It's more of kind of... um, Someone who is a visionary or supposed to be a visionary looks at it and says, this, this can't be working. This doesn't look good enough. We got to make this look better. So it's, it's less of a visitor-centric reason than an organization-centric reason to do it.
0: And I think that we tend to associate uh, good design and credibility to an extreme. So good design is a great way to communicate uh, credibility, if you look like a business that knows what it 's doing when I come to your website and I see something that is beautiful and well designed however, credibility is just one of the things that we optimize for there are a number of other things and unfortunately those things those things seem to get thrown out in favor of this one thing and I think i don 't i don 't personally want to discount
1: the value of quality design of of looking credible and professional within your space. I think that's incredibly important. I think one of the problems with the traditional redesign is that's the that's that's the focus first and foremost. But along the way if you're just if you're doing this binary cutover from existing to the new design, think about the number of decisions that have to be made. Should this go here or here? Should we use this image or this image? What font do we use?
0: What font size? What font color?
1: And we are notoriously bad at making the right decisions just based on what we see, right? And so along the way, you might get something that to your eye and maybe to everybody else's eye does look better. But you've made so many decisions along the way where... Maybe it looks better, but the overarching user experience, the usability of the site, the ease at which we're pathing people to the appropriate places and getting out of their way and letting them do what we want them to do and what they want to do, uh, those types of things kind of fall by the wayside. And, And I think what we often see is you end up with something that, again, everybody looks good. It looks good to everybody. Everybody likes it within the organization. But some of those decisions or many of those decisions that were made along the way in a vacuum without asking the visitors were the wrong decisions. And so you end up with with something that doesn't meet what should be the ultimate objective of the website relative to how the organization looks at it, which this needs to support us in terms of making more money.
0: Yeah, if you think about it, there's 10,000 assumptions that go into a redesign uh, maybe a thousand of those will have a meaningful impact on um, performance of the site, number of transactions generated. And you don't know if you have more of those that actually will increase the conversion rate versus decrease it for the largest segments that are coming. So you're kind of hoping that you made more good choices than bad choices. And as we have learned the hard way, uh, knowing which of those choices is the right one is a lot easier said than done.
1: Well, we've got, and we've got a joke here in the office, anytime we're going to be rolling out a test to the visitors of any given client website, the joke is if the variation we're doing, let's say it's a a different landing page design or something, whatever, it could be any number of things. The joke is if everybody loves it, we shouldn't even bother testing it because we know it's going to (laughs)
0: lose. Amen. Amen. That's right up there with uh, ugly often wins too. We'll have a beautiful design that we love. We take it out for a test and. Uh, the data shoots it down. I was going to talk about what 's kind of one one bit of subtext that we 're talking about here is that there 's a small team of designers and developers either within the company uh, within an agency or a combination of the two but we 're talking tens or dozens of people that 's what we would call a small sample size, but that is the scope of people that are making decisions in a redesign. Now you can do a focus group you can add another ten or twenty people. But um, we were talking earlier, and you were saying that that's great qualitative data, but where's the quantitative backup on that? You need much larger sample sizes. And the other thing we're always struggling to do is find more relevant participants. So not us inside the company, as the Eisenberg brothers say, being inside the bottle, you can't read the label. Mm -hmm. Where can we go and find actual people who are trying to solve problems that the website is trying to solve.
1: Well, and one of the trickiest parts about, let's say you find those people and you ask them questions. Do you like this better or do you like this better? There is almost without fail always going to be a substantial difference between what people tell you in a circumstance like that and then the actual behavior they exhibit if you're asking them to
0: tell you with their money. It's been fascinating as we've done user testing to find out what links people will subconsciously go to to tell you what they think you want to hear. And if they don't really know why they made a decision, how good they are at making up the story behind that, they don't realize that they chose this particular color because that was on their bedspread when they were a child. So they make up some other story about <laughs> the fit or that goes with these pants or something like that.
1: I want to take a step back because I feel like this conversation is kind of going along the lines of making it sound like redesigning is terrible. And if you do it, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. It's going to end your career. That's that's really not what we're saying. I think what we're talking about is there's kind of the way it's been done in the past, which is basically a committee of internal people. Maybe they have some focus groups or something like that. It's, it, it's basically internal opinions, maybe coupled with some Qualitative data, but there's a new way to do it, and we're not the only ones talking about it. I think I find it refreshing to see kind of the new generation of creatives seem to be really thirsty for more as much as much quantitative data as they can have. So there's the you know the old madman style of marketing, and there's really the way you have to do it today to be successful. So I don't want this to sound like all doom and gloom. Redesigns are destined to failure no matter what. I think they're not we just want to talk about what you can do to set yourself up for success in terms of first of all answering the question do we really need to redesign this site and second of all if the answer is yeah we think we do or we know we do how do you make sure you're doing that in a way that does not run counter to what your ultimate goals are yeah. unless your goals are to make less money in yeah. which case
0: you don't want to run Don't listen to, to anything the,
1: else we're going to say
0: to the visitors. <laughs> And by the way, you shouldn't listen to anything we say on anything because ultimately the data will prove us right or wrong. Um, so this podcast really is about celebrating those people who are walking that line between creativity and efficiency or or science or the data. A lot of people got into this because they like the creative side. But on the digital side, we can't design like we did for print in the, in the old days. All this data is available and... There's some learning curves to get up. What do you think are the, the key things that if someone's considering doing a redesign, how do they sell it? How do they, how do they say, well, hold on a second. What if we were to do this over a six-month period and step our way into it? I struggle to
1: answer your question because you're talking about going against the grain of, of established behavior and thinking. and It's like we've been talking about. The way people think about redesigns is all right, we're going to approve this project and there's going to be a lot of work. And then at some point in time in the future, whatever we put on our project plan, which almost never is accurate of the actual launch date, we're going to launch it and we'll have a new, a new site. And that feels that feels better if you say that, and like, okay, in three months, I'm going to pay this money and I'm going to have a new site. It's going to be shiny. It's going to be awesome. Everything that it's not right now and the world will be at one. That's a little less sexy than saying, let's incrementally test our way to this over the next six months so that we know at the end of the day it's going to be working and there'll be no doubt, right? As individuals and groups, we tend to really overestimate our abilities to get things right. And I think that that's the kind of behavior that, you know, if you go back to your question, well, how do you sell a redesign that's the non-traditional way, the new way? It's going to take a little bit longer, but at the end, you can be confident it's going to work. Mm I, I think the response often is going to be, well, we're smart. We don't need to do that. We'll, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And so how do how do we fight this ingrained behavior and reverse it so that it's instead of the person who's trying to sell it that way, the, the CFO is saying, all right, you want me to write this check. How are you going to guarantee that this is money well spent? But
0: they usually don't ask that. I think that probably from my standpoint, the answer is – like we talk about on this podcast, let's start introducing data to the rest of the organization. So when someone brings us into the organization, um, I would argue that that organization is much less likely to do an all-in redesign because they've started to see the analysis we're doing. They started to understand how little influences can make big changes in certain number of transactions the number of leads you're generating. And so they become a little bit more gun-shy to change that thing. So, I mean, I guess when you get back to the office, the answer is where can you start introducing a little bit of analysis about how your current site is performing and make sure that you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And in terms of agency relationships, I think that um, when an agency comes to you and asks you to pick something, that's an opportunity for you to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you guys go off and collect some data and tell me which one of these is going to be victorious. You shouldn't be guessing. They shouldn't be guessing. And it's very easy to put creative in front of audiences to find out which one is going to get them where they want to go faster. So start demanding data and start providing data. I think that is the uh, the essence of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, 100 years ago, if you had a cold, you'd go to the barber and they'd cut you and or put leeches on you, right? And that was the way... That was medicine. That doesn't work anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) As far as I know, it doesn't. (laughs) Shoot. We think that that's absurd now. And I feel like, well, I mean, it's a totally different plane. I feel like at some point in time in the future, collectively, people will look back. Marketers will look back and say, can you believe that people used to do redesigns this way? Because you don't have to. You don't have to. It doesn't mean that you can't be creative and come up with new mock-ups, new information architecture and things like that. But guess what? You can take all of those elements and test them on your current site. So you can, you don't even have to make those decisions. Like you talked about when your agency comes and says, well, which one do you, do you like? You can say, go gather some data. But the best answer is, how am I supposed to know? You tell me how I could test this, the fundamental question that we're asking How can I test that on my current site to let our current
0: visitors tell us what their dollars, which one they like? Yeah. all right, well, let's put it on the table. So if you're a marketer, what do you think is more risky? Saying, all right, I'm gonna bring data in and start uh, trying to infiltrate the organization, change the culture and using data more in my design uh, or waiting for the industry to change, waiting for it to be more acceptable. Is there really a downside to just kind of going along?
1: Quite frankly, I think it depends on the organization. I agree. I mean, and I don't want to sound pithy or snotty or anything, but there are a lot of organizations that the name of the game is playing business, not necessarily making more money. It's we're all busy. We have these big things that we say we're doing and we get them done. And nobody is really held accountable to the numbers that should matter most, which is, are are these activities that we're doing making us more or less profit? So I think, back to your question, depends on your organization.
0: Yeah, there's some organizations where you're going to be able to be a rock star and really build your career by integrating this stuff. And then there's other organizations where you're just going to be pounding yourself against the wall. So your homework is, everybody, to figure out which organization you're in. If it suits you, carry on. Like I said, you know, this style of design has resulted in in amazing designs that get pushed out all at once and everybody's happy and and performance goes up. But for those of you that are interested in the data, that are curious, that want to experiment, I recommend that you start getting up the learning curve on some of these things. You don't have to be a data scientist. But um, I love the stuff. I know which path I would take and I would have to... uh, you know, leave organizations in order and often did leave organizations in order to find a place where I could uh, spread my data and my creative wings. When we say, okay, find data, make sure you're able to kind of measure and tie
1: some data back to every decision you're making. I I think for you and I, that sounds like, yeah, of course, but that's what we do every day. I think a lot of people, they hear that and it's intimidating, right? Mm. It's like, well, where would we get that data? How would we, how would we do it? We live in, for better or for worse, a golden age of data collection. So whether it's qualitative data, quantitative data, some combination, both, it is it is easier and cheaper to capture both kinds of both of those kinds of data now relative to a redesign or, or anything that you're doing digitally than ever before. And it's just going to continue to get cheaper. So don't feel, for for those of you listening, don't feel like Using data in this way is, you know, you've got to be part of some exclusive club to do it. You really don't. There is a way to bring more data, more meaningful, more relevant, more impactful data into every organization, every marketing project that they're
0: doing. So I'm going to step off the soapbox now. (laughs) One other hard question. So do you think we're doing our customers a disservice because we come in and do all of this analysis and stuff? Are they not getting up the learning curves that they need to be getting up long-term that they're going to need as they move up the ladder or as they change organizations?
1: No. The most important learning curve to get up, and you were kind of alluding to this earlier, is the, the I wouldn't even call it a learning curve, actually. It's, it's the mental block of not asking the question, is there a way to measure this or not? Show me the data. Um, I think what any you know anybody that works with us is going to learn rather quickly. They're going to learn two things. One, there are a hell of a lot of surprises out there, and like we were talking about. What you just because you think something looks great doesn't mean it's going to work better for you from a from a conversion standpoint, from a revenue generation standpoint. And Number two, almost any question you can ask about some page or element of a page or series of pages you can answer that question at least approximately if not a hundred percent unequivocally with data you probably already have at your fingertips yeah so once you know those two things it's not intimidating anymore and you kind of get hooked on it
0: so there you have it where you do no harm where <laughs> Thank you, Joel, for joining me. And I look forward to uh, further conversations along these lines.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. This was enjoyable, at least for me. I don't know about for you or those of you that are listening, but I hope so.
0: The all-in approach isn't just limited to website redesigns. Individual campaigns are usually all-in affairs as well. When you get back to the office... Open a spreadsheet and start writing out the assumptions that you're making when designing that email or that social media ad or that landing page. You should quickly have a few dozen. Things like, we need to be clever in our headline, or we need to have a picture on the page, or we need icons on our website, or video is required on this page. Many of these may be well supported by your past experience or best practices that you've read about, But for each, you should ask, do I have a way of finding out if this assumption is a good one? You may be able to see which email subject lines work best in the past. You may create different versions of ads and see which delivers the best result, testing your assumptions. Now you're looking at your cards. And in a game of poker, you'll rarely win a hand if you don't look at your cards. That's it for this week, scientists.